Jesus stood among them and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm Kara Cardell. And I'm Fred Schellebarger. And you're listening to My Lord and My God, Encountering Christ in the Eucharist. We have a treat for you this week on My Lord and My God. We are joined by our good friend, Catholic author, speaker, filmmaker, and founder of the online platform, The Science of Sainthood. You may know him also as the host of the Art of Catholic podcast, Matthew Leonard. Welcome, Matthew. It is great to be with you guys. Good to, to, to hang out once again. We've had some yeah. past conversations. It's wonderful to talk to you again. Yes, it's yeah. always a, a blessing to be joined by you and, and spend time with you. We've been blessed by your ministry and your encouragement over the years. I also see a Taylor guitar behind you, so I'm very jealous. Uh, but uh, Don't you have a Taylor? I do have a Taylor. Why are you jealous? But his looks nicer than mine, so I'm jealous. Mine doesn't um, get as much use as it should. So Yeah, yeah. So... This show is all about the Eucharist, of course, and Matt, a lot of our listeners who are familiar with you or perhaps this they're hearing your voice for the first time, you yourself are active in ministry, have a great apostolate. What is the Science of Sainthood? The Science of Sainthood is an online platform where basically I provide spiritual guidance to transform Catholics from the inside out. I mean, everybody's looking for spiritual direction. Well, everybody. Everybody should be looking for some kind of spiritual growth, right? But a lot of people just don't know what it is, and they're starving for that relationship with the Lord that they know they're supposed to have. And the saints break down our, our progress and holiness into a, a kind of a systematic process. And uh, so I culled through, gosh, 2,000 years of Catholic tradition of spirituality and broke it into 20 courses of step-by-step formation, and uh, that's what it provides. Nice. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I think we all need that. Yes. Yes, we do. Like that's the actual self-help, which I think is absolutely wonderful what you do. Yeah. Jesus says the one thing necessary. When the second person of the Most Holy Trinity says that, we better pay attention, right? (laughs) Yes. Amen. (laughs) And, And speaking of the second person of the Trinity, this show, of course, is centered on the Eucharist. You yourself are a convert. And so we were curious. We've We had Sonia Corbett on a couple weeks ago. And so we're curious also your story, like what was your experience with the second person of the Trinity as it relates to the Eucharist? And what was that journey of coming to the belief and being able to say, my Lord and my God, what was that journey like for you? And, w- and what was the thing that led to that? I grew up a pastor's kid, so there was not a time in my life that I can remember not being in church. Mm-hmm. And so it would, for me... Uh, the Catholic faith and the Eucharist and all that, those were, they weren't even part of my world of until I was really in, uh, in high school. And so I just never really dealt with the questions. And, and for some of the part of my growing up time, we would have communion services, you know, with a little glass of grape juice yeah. and a little piece yeah. of bread you pass around maybe once a quarter. But that was the plastic shot only... glass. Yeah, exactly. The plastic <laughs> shot glass. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't really, um, it's as close as we got to shots in the way that I grew up. So yeah. we it didn't have a context really for the Eucharist. But when I met Catholics for the first time in my Calvinist high school of all places, I began to encounter this and it took a while for me to really even take it seriously. But once I really kind of later started down the road toward Catholicism, the big issue for me was authority uh, because everyone had been saying, you know, the Bible is the only authority. And I was a member of so many different denominations that you finally, you, you know, you get it through your low wattage 
bulb brain that some they can't all be right. Someone's got to be right. So who is <laughs> right, it? Right. And that got me reading and reading. And then you come across, you know, the early church father, St. Ignatius of Antioch, talking about the Eucharist. And and you see that the Eucharist was a, a part of the church from the beginning. You start to read mm-hmm. the book of Acts in a whole new way. And and so I never really, it wasn't a big issue for me. I know a lot of other people have had issues with the Eucharist. Is it really the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord? For me, that really wasn't uh, so much of an issue. And I remember that the night that I actually came into the church, after about four years of wrestling through all kinds of different Catholic issues, that when it finally came time for me to, able to, to receive the Eucharist, I'm sitting in the front row of the field house at Franciscan University of Steubenville. God's and university. For got- <laughs> <laughs> We're both alum. But yeah. I, I couldn't wait. Like I'd been going to daily mass uh, in preparation for this. As, as soon as I could, I was going to daily mass. And I would sit in the front row and, and there were these old beer commercials. It sounds so sacrilegious now, but uh, with Bob Euchre. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember those or not, but- I vaguely remember this, yeah. <laughs> well, yep. he would always have this whole thing, Bob Euchre, I must be in the front row. And so uh-huh. that was what we would kid around on, Bob Eucharist. You know, I'm in the front row waiting for Jesus. <laughs> nice. But when it finally came time for me to receive, uh, my sponsor says I literally elbowed him out of the way so that I could be first. <laughs> oh, wow. and, and I was like, man, even if I did elbow you out of the way, can you blame me? Because I was about to encounter the Lord in a radically new way. So I'd been in church so much growing up. And but I began to see the Lord and the way he wanted to provide himself to me in a whole different way. And when I encountered the Lord in the Eucharist for the first time, it just was it was an otherworldly experience not yeah. just because of my focus upon the Lord, but also because of my focus upon the other people that were there. Mm-hmm. Because I realized in that moment that I had become incorporated into a family that went yeah. beyond my blood relations. Like mm-hmm. you guys, like we're family, right? Yeah. right. And that, yeah. that hits you when you receive the Eucharist for the first time. You're part of the Catholic family. It's an amazing yeah. thing. Yeah, we inter- we just interviewed um, somebody who we got to know his kids very well, and it was so beautiful the way he ended the episode. He was talking about his daughter who just joined the Poor Clares, which is a cloistered order, and so like that already is very difficult for parents. And he said her her last words to them uh, were, "I'll see you in the Eucharist," wow. and that's so real. Like that's mm-hmm. so true. Um, one thing that stood out to me is your your story sounds very similar to yours, Fred, honestly, and like some other converts that I've talked to in that it started with the church fathers and that's what made it so easy. Like I've heard people who are converts have struggled with things like Mary or other doctrines, but the Eucharist isn't always the most difficult one for them. Mm-hmm. And one of the people we interviewed said that um, like she was she was angry that she's like, I went to seminary as a non-Catholic. Like, why did I never learn about the church fathers? And she was like, because if they teach it to you, you're going to know that, that right. the Catholic church is right. Yeah. Did you ever have feelings like that? Like, why did no one ever talk to me about this? I did. At first, it wasn't, you know, it's almost like going through process of grief. Um, mm. But for me, first, I was totally unmoored. Like when you are, when you're dealing with Protestant, when you're, you're a serious Protestant, and then you start to, to realize, hey, there's something here in this Catholic thing. I have to take it really seriously. Once you end up kind of leaving the Protestant world behind, but you're not yet Catholic, for me, that was a period of about nine months and I felt mm-hmm. utterly unmoored from everything that I'd been raised with. Mm-hmm. That then started to lead me not to questions of, of Jesus. I always had faith in the Lord, but it was, who are you, right? Because how do you fall in love with somebody you don't really know? 
And the more I got to know him and the more then you start to realize, oh my goodness, he's making himself or he, he wants to make himself available to me in the Eucharist. That's when kind of the anger kicked in because I felt the same way. Like I got ripped off and, and right. I, that was right. the feeling. And looking back now, like I don't feel anger. Uh, I had a pretty good upbringing, right? It's not to rip on the way that I was raised. My parents mm-hmm. raised me in church for crying out loud. And I met the yeah. Lord, you know, as a Protestant, I, I learned the Bible as a Protestant. There are a lot of good things that I took from it, but it's like the way I describe it, it's like breaking out of like kind of a black and white world into high def color. And mm-hmm. you are like, oh my goodness, the, the Eucharist is the the summit of everything that we want to, to do as Catholics, because this is where our Lord actually gives himself to us. And it's not just me asking him into my heart in some kind of a sinner's prayer. He literally makes himself a part of me. And yeah. once you realize that, everything changes. Right. And what's more intimate in terms of relationship than right. being God, body, blood, soul, and divinity inside my very own being. Mm-hmm. I, I liked how you pointed to that because that, that's we, we come from a similar denominations, at least in our immediate context of our conversion. And I found myself, like my denomination would often make the claim, we have the whole gospel, as if other denominations <laughs> didn't. And there was that kind of moment where I remember reading Rome Sweet Home just in tears, you know, uh, as I was having to make the choice between continuing on this career path or committing career suicide effectively and becoming Catholic. And it was like, who are you? Like this so-called whole gospel has actually robbed me of the actual whole gospel and the fullness of faith and all these things that I didn't know about you and yet are true. And like, it was like falling in love all over again and and then learning all these new things like it was just such a confusing time for me i don't know if you went through a similar process yeah, it, in that but yeah it was confusing and you know what's really interesting in retrospect so i've just celebrated my 25th anniversary as a catholic this last easter congratulations and thank you it's yeah. the best 25 years of my life yeah but it's funny because as converts, you know, you come in and you do all kinds of studying on the faith. In particular, you're zoning in on the Eucharist because you got to understand that because it's so central to what we do and all kinds of other things as well. And then as soon as we discover these things, we get super excited. We want to start talking about them with everybody. And the reality is we don't know what we don't know yet because we mm. haven't lived it long enough. And this right. is one of the advantages because people will put converts up on a pedestal, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's a reality there in that we had to get it for ourselves, so to speak. But cradle Catholics have been consuming and inebriating themselves on Jesus Christ since their first communion, which happened a whole lot earlier than most of us converts. I didn't get Jesus until I was 29 years old. And this is where I think that something is missed that, that uh, people who like, are so impressed with converts, and I realize I'm impugning myself, But there's a Catholic intuition that cradle Catholics have just by virtue of receiving the Eucharist. And we're assuming that they have some kind of a prayer life whereby the grace is actually penetrating. But you see things. It's a completely different worldview. It's a Eucharistic worldview that becomes a part of you just through your reception of the Eucharist. And it takes a long time for guys like you and me, Fred, to get Mm -hmm. to that. And, and kind of looking back, I'm like, you know, I probably should have kept my mouth shut more because I really <laughs> didn't know what I didn't know. And, and I find myself uprooting kind of deep Protestant notions uh, about this. I didn't realize I still had. And cradle Catholics have it going on. You guys are the most blessed people on the face of the planet. 
Right. I think that's good to say it because I'm not sure many people would like recognize it or even be able to articulate it. And I do think like to give credit for for many cradle Catholics who are just like living so faithfully and striving for it. I think it's very similar. Like they kind of had to go get it themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, At at least that was, you know, experience for myself and many people that I know. And maybe that's just how they uh, how they received some of the formation or lack thereof formation growing up. And so I really like that you mentioned that because it is this it's a wellspring of grace that we've been given for years and years and years. And so often we don't recognize that like we've been given this power and it's the power of Christ in the Eucharist and we can go and receive that same power. I think it was Sonia who was talking about that. Like, oh, I need a little dose of power. Right, <laughs> and so you just yeah. go to like daily mass or something, but yeah. we don't always recognize that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a huge point because I think that if more Catholics, and I realize everyone's situation is different, but if you recognize what it is we receive, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord, why aren't we going to daily mass as often as we possibly can? Because yeah. right? we have all this yeah. emphasis on the Eucharist, the Eucharist, the Eucharist, the Eucharist. You can't separate the Eucharist from the liturgy. Right. right? That's right. where you receive our Lord. And if you have that opportunity to get there and and receive him, why not build your life around that? Yeah. Right? That, I mean, th- this boggles my mind. Uh, and I, it's a sacrifice. And I'm not trying to cast stones. It, it hurt. It's hard. It's not like mm-hmm. it's easy to do it. It is a sacrifice. But literally, that's what's supposed to happen. The sacrifice yeah. of our lives is supposed to be offered along with our Lord on that altar. And part of that sacrifice is organizing our life around the ability to get to Mass as often as we possibly can. Yeah, that's the last chapter of uh, Imitation of Christ. It's all about the Eucharist. And when I was reading that, I was very convicted of the same thing. It's like, why am I not like running to Mass every single day? Mm-hmm. So I, I tried bringing, so I stay at home with my kids now, and I tried bringing them to daily Mass by myself, and that was an adventure in itself. But you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. It's something that we should strive for. That's the science of sainthood. Like, h- how many saints did not make the Eucharist the center of their life? None of them. Every single one was running to the Mass. It's true. And you know what else goes along with that is that all the other things in the Catholic life and really are kind of a preparation for that reception of the Eucharist. And so we talk about asceticism, you know, uh, penances and fasting and uh, just little sacrifices that we make throughout the week. And let's just say you're only going to Mass on Sunday, which is what the Church requires. All of those things we do during the week are there for preparation for that reception of the Eucharist. And so you start to see the rest of your week in a different light because now everything that I'm doing, my prayer life, whatever little penances I'm doing, anything I do is really ordered to that reception of our Lord in the Eucharist. I think Dr. David Fagerberg out of Notre Dame has this book called Liturgical Asceticism. And basically his point is you can't take the, you can't separate the ascetical life from the liturgy. It's preparation for what we do in the liturgy. And we have to order our lives this way to see that if that's the, the church says that this is the, the summit toward which all the activity of the church is directed and the liturgy is the font from which all her power flows. We, We need to be clearing that space inside of us so that power can flow into us. And that's what our daily Catholic life is really all about. Amen. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I'm curious, um, you talked a little bit about your upbringing things, but what specifically led you to discover the Catholic Church and to realize, like, I need to become Catholic? Well, I met one Catholic family 
uh, the only real Catholic family I knew. <laughs> I grew up in yeah. Chicago, and I didn't even know it was a Catholic town. I was so Protestant. But uh, <laughs> these guys were the typical Catholic, you know, Irish Catholic, redhead, you know, a little harder living than what I was used to in my youth group. Uh, but And they all went to Franciscan University as well. And they were formed well. Their parents were awesome. They are awesome. And uh, they challenged me. And I, this is the thing that I think we miss as Catholics that our separated brethren have it going on. And that is relational evangelization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they they get in relationship and they I, I was friends with them. And then we argued and then they led me to the church. Like that was the progression. <laughs> uh, but it was through that relationship because nobody ever becomes Catholic when you get humiliated in, a, in a, an apologetics argument. Like it's not right. enough for us to have the, yeah. all the, you know, the weapons. We have to be able to relate to these people in yes. love. As yeah. Paul yeah. says, if, even if I, you know, if I offer my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So we have to relate to people in love. And it was really that relationship that, brought the issues that I needed to deal with, the theological issues, into sharper relief and gave me the willingness to be able to do it. And and again, the authority issue was the big domino for me. And when the authority issue falls, then it's a slippery slope into the arms of Holy Mother Church. Yeah. Amen. I love that. I feel like you're not the first person who has said what led you into the church was some like a Catholic coming and talking to you about that. And I think that's a testament to all of us as Catholics. Like we talk about the Eucharist as the source and summit, meaning it's the it's the source that we derive all grace from to go out and do the work. And it's the summit that we want to bring others to. And I think it's just kind of a, a witness and a challenge for all of us. Like, don't hide your faith when the whole the whole reason we bring people on, not just to talk about hmm. scriptural things and liturgical things and, all, you know, doctrinal things with the Eucharist is we want to share people's testimonies is because we all have to be able to answer the question, how has your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed your life? And go out and then tell other people about that as Catholics, because that's what's going to bring people in and change their life. So I'm curious then for you, Matt, how has your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed your life? Man, that's a ginormous question. <laughs> it, it really is. is. <laughs> um, when you first, when I first became Catholic, and again, I was already going to daily mass, so nothing really changed as far as that went. But in reference to what I said before, I just found when you're encountering the Lord on a daily basis, he begins to seep into you in a deeper and deeper and deeper way. Now, all that said... You have to have the life of prayer that goes along with it. And when I really, this is why I've dedicated myself in the science of sainthood to teaching the spiritual patrimony of the church. It was when I really dove into what the saints teach about the spiritual life and how we grow closer to our Lord. When I begin to really do that, so meditative prayer on a daily basis, making small sacrifices, just all the things that kind of go into the, the normal spiritual life that's when the training wheels came off of my experience of the Eucharist because mm-hmm. it was it was stripping me of me and allowing more room for the Lord in the Eucharist to actually transform my life. And yeah. so it was kind of like I came into the church and I was making progress and isn't this wonderful and man, there's so much to learn and all these different things. And then when I kind of realized that my interior life had been a little distracted by Catholic things and I <laughs> dove back into the interior life, and I'm like, this is the Catholic thing. Yeah. That's when right. everything, it was like jet 
fuel, you know, in my rocket. And I started ascending the divine ladder a lot more quickly. I I have a long way to go, trust me. But (laughs) for me, that's what it was. The Eucharist was always the center, but the things around it needed to really take hold before I could really encounter the power that was there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing the words we just celebrated at the time of this recording, the feast of St. John the Baptist. And I'm hearing in what you're describing, the words of him, the Baptist himself, he must increase and I must decrease. That's kind of, I also hear that in your testimony about the Eucharist as well. Um, More of him, less of me. I hear that in your, like what stands out to me, like tying your whole testimony together here. You said it was the excitement of being in relationship with all those around you, you know, when you first received, but that, that relationship is also what brought you into the church. It's the same with me. What, what happened, uh, Catholic professor walked into my non-Catholic university classroom. And as soon as he walked in, he didn't say a word. I, I said to myself, I want what he has. It showed. So that interior life that you're talking about, all the time spent in prayer, in meditation, all of that, he must increase and I must decrease, spoke volumes. And it led me to encounter Christ in the Eucharist, an encounter that, like you, has not only changed my life one time, but continues to change my life every single day. Would you, would, is that the same for you? Like every day that encounter is changing your life. Yeah. And it's an encounter that doesn't just kind of light the way in front of us. You know, people want to know what they need to do with their life. What am I supposed to do with my life? Right. And we think, Oh, well, I'm in closer relation to the Lord. He's going to show me little by little. And it's true. But I think the Catholic view of this in relationship to the Eucharist is that the more we receive him in the Eucharist and we prepare ourselves to receive him, the more he fills us up. It's not like there's a little, like we're holding a flashlight in front of us. It's that the light and love of Jesus Christ goes out through every pore of our body and lights the way. And as we are kind of seeing where it is we're supposed to go in our lives because we're closer to Jesus and we can hear more what it is he wants us to do, people see that in us. And just like what happened to you, Fred, they want what we've got. And he didn't even, Mm -hmm. he didn't say anything, right? I mean, it wasn't like he got up there and expounded theological truths and you're like, oh, wow, I want some of that. You saw what he had. And the reason why is because through a sacramental relationship with the Lord, he was full to the brim of the Holy Spirit spirit and he couldn't help but show it it's like peter on you know mount tabor when he was just so overcome with the presence of god right. and he wants to build the three tents and and you know he wants to continue that experience and we all know we have to come back down the mountain but even after you come back down the mountain once you've encountered the lord in this powerful way in the eucharist and you begin living a eucharistic way of life the lord shines through you to other people and that's how evangelization is done you can't separate evangelization from the eucharist yeah. Amen. I love that. I have one last question. And this actually just recently kind of struck me in that we always ask the question, how has your encounter with Christ and Eucharist changed your life? And I never associated with that. Oh, it might've, it might've impacted your life in a sacrificial way. Like you might have in converting, you know, how did that impact your family life growing up as a pastor's kid? Like, you know what I mean? So what kind of, um, what kind of sacrifice was involved in becoming Catholic to receive the Eucharist for you um, because Christ sacrificed himself for us. Like Mm. there will be sacrifice in our life as well, but it brings beauty. It brings good. Yeah. And it it continues to happen. You know, for people who are considering the faith, uh, Catholicism might be listening to this. 
you may be experiencing issues with your family. And that's where I think mm-hmm. most, so many of us sacrificed something along the way. And it was the same for me. I mean, there was a period of time my dad wasn't talking to me because I was becoming Catholic and my brothers and sisters were like, what in the world is he doing? And it was really difficult. And the family yeah. members that came to the liturgy at Franciscan, when I came into the church, when, when the liturgy was over, they basically went and got their suitcases, put them back in the car and left. Oh, wow. And so that was a sacrifice. Um, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why the familial aspect of the Eucharist was so poignant to me at that moment mm-hmm. I received him, because it's not like anyone's going to replace my immediate family members, but I'd been incorporated into something that was deeper. And the Lord has brought healing and you know some level of reconciliation, uh, even in my familial uh, relationships. But I recognize that what it is that I got from our Lord, the sacrifices in my life now, much of them revolve around me wanting my family, my immediate family members to receive what it is that I have. And yeah. so I'll offer myself up in sacrifice for them so mm-hmm. they can receive the Eucharist. And what, what that really is, is us becoming like Jesus Christ on the cross mm-hmm. and offering ourselves for other people. That's what happens when you have a Eucharistic way of life. And, and we can put our prayer lives on steroids by viewing our relationships because every one of us has someone who's left the faith or isn't in the faith or whatever and i always tell people don't just pray offer yourself up as a living sacrifice for them in small penances and it's extremely powerful because again you're you're acting just like jesus christ and you get the power to do that through the eucharist in the liturgy where you're practicing by giving yourself up on the altar with jesus yeah amen I feel like hearing that some people may be like, well, how do I actually do that? And you mentioned small, small penances. I think it was St. Saint Monica. I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something like, you know, God would never allow like a, a prayer to go unanswered through so many tears. Like she cried so many tears for St. Augustine. And I think it's actually very beautiful. You said, you know, this is the life of Christ in the agony in the garden. It wasn't just the upcoming suffering that he was going to endure that brought the agony it was all of us knowing that so often we would ignore him in the tabernacle we would not want to follow him or believe in him and so almost like we're causing some pain in him and agony in him and then he offers that same thing up for us specifically and I think that's the beautiful thing about being Catholic and it is a Eucharistic sacrifice is so often we experience suffering from others so almost they cause the suffering that then can help lead, lead to their own sanctification if we turn it around and offer it back up to them, mm-hmm. which is such a beautiful way to bring and offer yourself up for the conversion of others. The, if you take it, just strip it all away, the Eucharist at its core is a sacrifice of love, right? Yeah. Jesus offered himself up in love. That's what we're called to do for each other. And the more love increases, the less suffering there is, so to speak. Because the more you love somebody, you know, the more you're willing to do it. And it's not, it might still involve some kind of pain, but you're doing it as, a, as an act of love. Mm-hmm. And that's a completely different experience. And that's what the Eucharist fills us up with. So there are people who are listening and are like, I'm not really sure how I can offer myself up. You know, penances are hard and such. And again, they don't have to be big penances. But the more you fill yourself up with the love of Jesus Christ, the more you're going to love other people and you're going to want to offer yourself up because it's a gift of love. And just like I'm more willing to do something for my wife uh, that would be real suffering for some stranger, right? But I love my wife and so I'm far more willing to do it. It's an act of love for her. The more you fill up with the Lord 
in the Eucharist, the more he starts, you, you begin to see everyone through that lens of, of God, the, the yeah. vision of God. And you see people as potential brothers and sisters in the family of God that you want to give yourself for. Yeah, that's beautiful. So if people want to uh, learn more from you, I know we mentioned at the very start of this episode, but where can they find you? You can find me at scienceofsainthood.com. And I can't keep my mouth shut about the saints, the Catholic. <laughs> listen, the Catholic spiritual life is the one thing necessary. And so I've dedicated my life to this because it's transformed my life. And if more Catholics, frankly, had a, a serious interior life, I don't think we'd have a lot of the problems that we have both inside and outside of the church. So scienceofsainthood.com. I agree. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you, Matt. God bless you guys.